Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships, so we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. This is the fourth week in the series. We're going to wrap things up. It's entitled, When God Is. And we've been looking at, over the last few weeks, looking at when God is certain things. First week, we talked about when God is silent. And we asked the question, how do you respond to God when he's silent, when you've been praying for something and he just hasn't answered you? Uh, The second week, we talked about when God is unfair. Last week, we talked about when God is late, when he seems late. And so we've been diving into this idea of, of what do we do and how do we respond to that? And today, I have the great honor of sharing with you how to respond when God is uncooperative. And so if you, uh, somebody laughed, <laughs> like, oh yeah, uh, I'm, I'm familiar with this one. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, go to verses 7 through 10 is where we're going to hang out today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got guys coming up and down the aisle. Uh, and if you're new to this whole Church Jesus thing, man, just grab one of those Bibles that they're passing out, because you'll notice up here on the stage there's page numbers as well. That corresponds to the Bibles they're passing out, and that will help you to find the passage a little bit quicker, to help you get more familiar with the Word of God, and so please grab one of those and head over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, with us this morning. Like I said, if you're already on the app, just open up that module, and you'll have all of that right there in front of you as we get going. Also want to remind you before I jump into this that we have the Ask Anything program at the bottom of the screen. This number will stay here for you this entire time so you don't have to memorize it. But if you have a question anytime during this message, if you would text that question to that phone number, uh, we'll get it and uh, we'll get the pastors up here at the end of the service to answer one or two of those before we head out. Uh, Now I will tell you this, if you send in a question and we don't answer it uh, from the stage, we will get back to you via text with an answer. So you're going to get an answer one way or the other. So make sure that you utilize that this morning. Uh, Let me ask you, somebody's already laughed about it, but has anyone experienced a moment when God seemed uncooperative? And by uncooperative, what I mean is you're praying for something, you desperately desire something, and God says, "Mm, no, nope, not going to happen. It's just not going to happen for you today. Anyone had that experience? How did you respond to that? And how, how do you take it when God says no. I remember years ago, we had a lady in this church, uh, she had some serious, serious health issues, uh, went into the hospital, and we got a notice one day that she was in the hospital, she was going in for a big, massive procedure, and uh, we, we decided we were going to gather around her and pray with her, and so I called all the elders and I said, hey, here's what room she's in, let's all meet down there at that time, and then uh, the day went on, and, and as days go around here, things just got busy. We got hung up, meetings and everything else. By the time I checked my watch, I'm like, oh, no, man, I'm running late. Anybody? 
uh, this, this is my life, okay? And so I'm like, I'm running late, so I'm scrambling, running through the office, and I'm yelling at everybody, has anyone seen my keys? Has anyone seen my keys? And I'm like praying, God, help me find my keys. And I'm saying it almost like it's coming out of my mouth, and I look, and there's my keys. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Bam, grab my keys. I run out the door. I jump in the car, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm running late now. i got to hurry. Please don't let me get a ticket. Give me, you know, give me green lights. And my, my drive all the way to the hospital is flying. And I'm like, I'm zipping through lights right at the right time. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I get to the hospital, and I'm, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm going, I'm cutting this one really, really close. I'm going to look like an idiot running in there late, and this is such an important thing. I don't want to let her down. And uh, so, God, man, please just give me a front parking space if I can get that. And about the time I'm pulling into the parking garage, I take a left, and there's a lady backing out of a front parking space. And I'm in that moment of, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad, right? I'm just celebrating, like, this is awesome. God, you're, you're awesome. You're moving. You're working. And then um, I get out, and I don't even make it on time. Like, I'm there before the deadline, right? Which for me, if anyone knows about Headley Zone, we're always late to everything, okay? So I'm, like, excited. I show up, and I'm like, God, you are showing yourself in a big way today. And so we visit with the family for a little bit, and then we gather around, we anoint her with oil, all the elders lay hands on her, and we pray. And my prayer goes something like this. God, we're asking for the miracle. We're asking for the big one here. I, I want to see a healing. I want to see you move in a mighty way. And God, we're trusting in you for this. We want something, not just a normal healing. We want something so astounding that the doctors can't even explain it. God, would you move in that way? And you know what happened? She passed away. She died. And I remember thinking, you answered all the dumb prayer requests, like the stupid ones that didn't even matter. You answered all of those. That one, yet on the one that we really, really needed, the one that the family wanted more than anything, God, we put, we put ourselves out there in front of you. And it didn't happen. Why is that? Why would, you, why would you answer the dumb ones and not the big ones? Now, prayer is the way that we communicate with God. We, we find ourselves in prayer often when things are going down the tubes. I don't know if you ever noticed this. or uh, When times get tough, we just kind of find ourselves in prayer. Even if we're not a prayerful person, even if we're not used to that, it's not part of our daily routine. We find ourselves in prayer when things are going bad. And it's one of the reasons why they say you'll never find an atheist in a foxhole, right? Because when you're left with nothing, you'll turn to God. Even if you don't acknowledge him on a daily basis, you'll turn to God. And, and one of the things that I know about prayer is that we cry out to God in, in the most desperate times. Unfortunately, for many of us as believers, it's like the only time we ever talk to God. Now, it should be a daily thing. It says pray without ceasing. We should be in constant prayer with God, just having a daily conversation with him as we're going through our day. But many times we wait until the last minute when nothing else can, like we have no other place to turn, we'll finally turn to God and pray. So prayer is a big part of when it comes to this, this idea of God being uncooperative. When, when we are crying out to God and he says no, we're, we find ourselves in prayer going, God, what is going on? On. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want us to look at uh, something that happened to Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I want to point out, I think, three thoughts, just kind of share with you three thoughts about prayer as it relates to the life of the Apostle Paul. 
in hopes that we could bring this home for ourselves today, all right? And so the first one that I want to share with you today as it relates to prayer is this, that true prayer isn't about getting our way, but it's about surrendering our will. It's not about getting our way. So if we're praying in, in hopes that, hey, I want this, I desire this, that God, I need this, I want that, and we think that prayer is going to get us those things, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about putting ourselves in a place where our will forms around the will of God, or we surrender our will to God. It's not about our way, but it's about God's will. Jesus taught all about this when he was on the earth. Uh, there was this one moment when he was walking with his disciples, and they're like, hey, teach us to pray. And he starts off this prayer, you know, uh, our Father who art in heaven. You guys, a lot of you have cited this many times in your life. And, and part of that prayer, though, if you find it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will the will that, that we understand rules everything in heaven, may that happen right here. So our prayer, he's teaching them to pray, and he says, look, part of your prayer needs to say you want God's will to happen right where you're at, right now, right where your boots meet the ground. That's what prayer is. It's not about your way, it's about God's will. Uh, he demonstrated this all the way through his life. You get to the very end of his life, and just before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden praying, and he's just praying, uh, pouring himself out. He's praying so fervently, in fact, that he's sweating droplets of blood. This is how earnest he is in his prayer, and this is part of his prayer. We find it in Luke chapter 22. It says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Talking about the cross. Look, I know I need to go to the cross, but God, if there's any other way this can happen, please make it happen a different way, because what you're asking of me is so difficult. But then this is what he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, Jesus demonstrated this even in the moment when his father was uncooperative with him. He said, no, it's not about my will. It's about your will. Now, when we get to the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul had a crazy life. This guy was just, he, he, it's unbelievable when you read his life. You're like, how could you pack that much stuff in one life? But he started off as a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was in the temple. He was a, a devout Jew. He knew all the laws and he obeyed every one of them. And so much so that when this new thing started happening, uh, you know, all these Christians started springing up and he looked at it from a Jewish standpoint as, man, that's heresy. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. We need to get rid of these Christians. He actually went to the temple and he got approval to go out and hunt down and kill any Christian he could find, like legally. This is what he did. He killed Christians. That was his job. And he did that until one day he was headed to Damascus. Jesus met him on the road, blinded him, and he converted his life. He gave his life over to Christ. From that moment on, he went a totally different direction. You see him going out preaching the gospel. He was laying hands on people. They were being healed. He was raising people from the dead. I mean, he was so devout to Jesus Christ that he would spend the rest of his life planting churches. There were so many things that happened to him. He, he was stoned. Like they literally left him for dead and thought he was dead. You can't kill the guy. He, he was actually shipwrecked. He was on an island at one time and picked up some wood and got bit by a venomous snake, and he lived through that. He, he was actually uh, whipped five different times. And I don't mean like whipped one, two, three, four, five. Like I mean whipped five separate times. Each time that they would whip him, they would say 40 lashes. And they were afraid they would miscount, and so they would do 39 to make sure they didn't go over. But he was, he was whipped 39 times, 
five times. He was in prison more times than we can count. And yet, even with all of this going on, he still had the time to be a missionary, to plant churches, to um, write half of the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul. Great figure in Scripture, great man of God. And yet, what we find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is that he found a moment when God was uncooperative. Take a look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read the second part of verse 7. It says, So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. It's interesting that twice in this one verse, he gives the reason. Like, this is years later, he's speaking about it, and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me in a place, he already knows why God did it. He's like, hey, to keep me from, from becoming too proud and, and uh, keep me humble, keep me in a place where God could work in and through me, he gave me, and he calls it a thorn in the flesh. Now, I'll just tell you up front, we don't know what it is. Nobody knows. There's a lot of speculation. Everyone kind of has their idea of what it might be. And, and I mean, it could be anything. It, it could be depression. It could be a health issue. It could be bad sight. It could be a speech impediment. I mean, you could just go on forever. We don't know what it is. And I think there's a reason why we don't know. Because if it was one thing, then the people that struggle with that, they would identify with this passage. But because it's left open, every one of us, we can identify to this. We can tie our own thorn in the flesh to what Paul is going through. Let me ask you this. What's your thorn in the flesh? What is it you struggle with? What is it that you desire more than anything? And it just seems like God's been uncooperative. He said, no, I'm not going to take care of that for you. I want you to hang on to that one. What is it for you? Is it an addiction? Is it a loss that you've gone through? Is it a struggle that, that you can't seem to overcome? What is it for you? See, prayer is not about getting our way. It's about um, surrendering our will to God's will. And then number two, prayer reminds us that we're not in control, and it draws us closer to the one who is. I think every time we go to prayer, to God in prayer, we find out we're not in control. Do you notice this? Has anyone lived long enough to figure out you are not in control of the things that happen in your life? If you're, if you're uh, two years old, maybe you haven't figured it out. After that, it's pretty clear. Like, we think we have this, this control, some resemblance of control in our life, but we don't. It's, it's completely out of control. But there is one who is. And when we go to him in prayer, it's a reminder of that every time. That Look, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now, but God does. He is in control. It ties us and draws us back to him to trust in him because he's the one that knows what's going to happen. Look at what Paul does about his thorn in the next verse. It says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. So I've got this thorn in my flesh. It's there to keep me from becoming proud. And yet three times I begged God. Uh, some, of yours, uh, some of your translations are a little different, but when you read through this, what you find out is it's not like he prayed three times that God would take it away. Like at breakfast, God, thank you for my cocoa puffs, and uh, would you please take care of this problem in my life? And then lunchtime rolls around, thank you so much, bless the food, bless the person that served me, and would you take care of this thing in my life? And dinner time, hey, would you take care of this? And then he gets to the end of the day and he goes, well, I guess God says no. That's not what this is. When you read through this passage, what you find out is that he spent 
three full focused seasons on prayer, on intercession, on fasting, on crying out to God. God, I don't want this. Would you please do something about this? Would you take this from me? Would you show up in a big way and just just rip this from me? And God said, no, no, not going to do it. God seemed uncooperative, which is strange because if you look at the life of, of Paul and you look at all the times that God showed up in a big way in his life and did amazing things, people were raised from the dead when Paul went and laid their hand, his hands on him. But yet when it came to this thorn in his flesh, God said, no, uh, why? Well, take a look at God's response in verse 9. It says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. God says, um, my grace is all you need, really? That's the response. You're going to cry out for three focused seasons, asking God to do something. He's going to go, no, my grace is sufficient. It's good enough for you. What is that? Do you know what grace is? Grace is this undeserved favor. Like we, don't, we don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it, but God gives it to you anyway. And this word actually shows up 155 times in the New Testament. It's all about God's grace. God says, look, um, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, I like one scholar's definition of grace. This is what he wrote. He said, when God freely extends himself. So grace is when God freely extends himself, leaning and reaching to us because he's disposed to bless and be near us. It's this idea of God leaning forward because we can't reach him, like, like reaching down to us. This is grace. Does that change your idea of God at all? Because so many of us, when we go through a season where it seems God is uncooperative, we get this mental picture that God is this lofty, heavenly being that pays no attention to us. But yet, God's response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient. My, I'm going to lean forward. I'm going to commune with you. I'm going to be with you. Even though I don't take it away, and there's a reason for it, I'm still going to be with you. And that's sufficient. That's enough. God is saying, look, I think you think you know what you need, but you really don't because I'm all you need. The healing is not what you need. I'm what you need. This situation in your life being fixed, that's not what you need. I'm all you need. Which leads me to my third point, which is prayer isn't just asking, but trusting God knows best. I think this is the big one. This is the big one for us. It's not about asking God to do something, but it's saying in that moment, uh, going back to the first one, surrendering our will, it's this idea of, God, I'm asking for this, but I also understand that you know better, that you have a better plan. See, prayer is about trusting that God knows what's best for you. It doesn't mean you can't ask. It doesn't mean that when I'm standing by the hospital bed, I don't ask for the miracle. I ask for it, but I'm going to trust that God knows best even if it doesn't make sense to me in that moment. What I love about it is he says, my grace is enough. See, grace fills the gap between our pain and God's promises. It keeps us in that place where we're 
trusting in him that he knows what's best for us. And then Paul goes on to make this incredible statement in verse 10, but I want to read 9 into 10 because I want us to get the full context. This is what it says. Each time he, talking about God, said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take what? That's why I take what? Pleasure. Listen to this. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. I take pleasure in the insults. I take pleasure in the hardships. I take pleasure in the persecutions. And I take pleasure in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Pleasure. Paul writes, I take pleasure in my weakness. What in the world is that? What does that mean? I take pleasure in my weakness. Some of your translations say delight or I'm well content in my weakness. Why? Well, because it draws us closer to God. It causes us to walk closer to him, to lean into him even harder. Now, I want to share something with you that is going to be kind of hard, I know. Uh, I'm going to call this a Sherpa thought, okay? If you've been around Mountain View Fellowship very long, you know that we, we liken our spiritual growth process to, to hikers. Like a day hiker is somebody who just has a little fanny pack on. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know Christ yet, right? They're not prepared for, for the storm. And then when you receive Christ, you become a backpacker. Like you're a little bit more prepared. You're getting into the word of God. You're leaning in. You're saved, right? But then there's a guide. There's a third level of spiritual maturity called a guide. And this person's not only been there, done that, but they've got some equipment to help some others get there as well. And then that fourth stage, which is the one that we're, we're hoping everyone can get to, is the stage of Sherpa. When you're at the stage of Sherpa, everything you do is not for you. Life is not about you. It's, a, it's about the kingdom. It's about other people coming to know Jesus Christ. You're the one carrying the oxygen bottles up the hill for other people, not even yourself. You make sure camp is set up. You're not in any of the pictures when they summit. You're just the one that helped them get there, and they know it. So I want to I give you a Sherpa thought this morning. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes with me just for a minute, okay? Just everyone close your eyes. And I asked you a question earlier. I want, to, I want you to get this mental picture. What is your thorn? What is the thing that you're dealing with right now? Um, Paul says, I take pleasure in my weakness. He says, look, it has taught me that I can't do it on my own. It has taught me to lean into Jesus. It has stripped me of my pride. It has forced me into humility. It has made me more sympathetic to those who struggle because I struggle myself. God has shown his strength through my weakness. Therefore, I am weak in my, I am strong in my weakness is what he says. So let me ask you this. What is your thorn? You got the mental picture? What if we changed our perspective? What if, if whatever that thorn is, and as you think about it, and you're just stewing on it, and you're just like upset, and you're frustrated, and you're like, God, why won't you do something about this? What if our perspective changed from, I hate this thing, to I take pleasure in it? What would happen if you took pleasure in whatever it is that you're thinking about right now, your thorn? What would happen in life? Would you go ahead and open your eyes? Would that change things for you? It did for us. Uh, my wife and I, we got married when we were in high school because I got her pregnant. Some of you heard this story, right? Um, two weeks before the delivery date, we lost our baby. 
we had to go through um, funeral, burying, you know, a casket that big, which is no fun. We found out that there was something going on in my, my newly wife's body. That's why it rejected the pregnancy at two weeks before the delivery date. And, and so we started going through all these tests. All these things started going wrong. And then she was diagnosed with lupus. And it started a 30-plus year battle, an everyday battle with lupus. This is what she deals with. Because she deals with it, I deal with it. It's our life. Now, 32 years later, if you ask me, would I change it? I would say no. As horrific as that was, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, as bad as that was, I wouldn't change it. Do you know why? Because today I take pleasure in it. Because I've seen how God has used it over and over and over again. And not to get into all the details, but let me just give you a couple of examples. As a parent, I've got two other sons. I lost my first one, but i got two more. They're still growing. They're still maturing. I'm still, I'm still dad. I'm still working on them, right? But the greatest, loftiest goal as a parent you could ever have is that your kid would receive Jesus Christ and spend eternity in heaven with him and with you someday. That's the highest goal you could ever have as a parent. And can I just say this? I don't mean this to be flippant. I don't mean it to be rude. But my first son is already there. I don't have to worry about him. He's with Jesus. I'm not going to screw that one up. Thank you, Jesus. The other thing that I would say is uh, I take pleasure in my wife's lupus. You know why? Because it's broken me time and time again. When Paul says to keep me from being proud, man, I can relate to that one. There were years I was angry and frustrated and mad at God and, and why did I get a broken wife, right? And all these other things. And, and God spoke into my heart one day and he says, you have never been in the hospital one day. You've never lost consciousness, never broken. You've had a perfect, healthy life your entire life. And you know why? It wasn't for you. For her. So you might take care of her. So you might lift her up when she can. And I realized that God brought us together for a reason. Now, I take pleasure in that. God has taught me to trust him more than I ever would without it. If it wasn't for that, I would have thought all this stuff I did on my own. And God has humbled me time and time and time again because of it. Now, let me tell you, I'm talking from 32 years later, okay? There's no way I could have uh, stood at the graveside of my son's grave and said that. There's no way, sitting in that doctor's office, when he's breaking the news to us, I could have said that years ago. Even two, two months, two months, a year, uh, five years later, I couldn't have said it. But 32 years later, I can say this. I can say it now. It's taken me a long time to get there, but I can say it now. That our worst nightmare, I wouldn't change it. Because I've seen how God has used it over and over and over again, how much good has come from it. I wouldn't change it one bit. Now, for you, no matter how bad things are right now for you, thorn in the flesh, praying, God, would you take this? And he's saying no. And you're thinking life is over no matter how bad life is for you right now. Let me pause just for a minute and tell you something. A couple of nights ago, I'm getting ready for this message. and I'm sitting in the living room. It's about midnight. Everyone else has gone to bed. And I, I've got my feet up on our coffee table because my wife's not there. She can't see me doing this. 
And, and I look, and the, underneath the coffee table is this, this little photo. And I reach down and grab it, and I pull it out, and it's, it's one of those photo albums. You know, you have the picture on the front, you open it up, it's got all these pictures. And I realized it was our wedding photo album. I hadn't looked at it in years. I told you earlier how we got married. That is not a happy time for us. And honestly, as I was flipping through those pictures, I was getting physically ill, remembering back to that day and how, how desperate we were and how horrible life looked. And we're juniors in high school and we're getting married and she's pregnant and what is, we just wrecked our lives and everything is on hold and I'm looking through the pictures and we're trying to smile and you can see the stress in our face. And then I started noticing uh, pictures of like my parents and my in-laws and my parents are here this morning so they can testify to this. But uh, I'm looking at those pictures and you can see it in their faces. Like they're smiling, but I'm thinking we brought so much shame to them. We devastated both families a horrible day and we're just stressed out if you had gone back to that day and you asked the younger don or the younger angie what does this feel like right now we would have told you life is over it's done stick a fork in us man it's over like we're, we're done life sucks and it will always suck from this day forward because of this 32 years later we look at what God has done, and it's incredible. I love my wife more than anybody on the face of the earth. I would die for that woman. I would live for her. She's, she's my heart and soul. Right behind Jesus. She knows that, and she loves it. It's okay. But if you had asked us on that day, we would have said, no way. Can I just say this? Wherever you're at today, whatever you're going through right now, no matter how hopeless it seems, no matter how dark it seems right now, I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it is right now, the goodness of God is better over time. God's grace is sufficient. You'll get down the road. It won't happen tomorrow. It probably won't happen next week. You'll get down the road and you'll look back and you'll see what God was doing. And you'll start to understand that Number one, true prayer isn't about getting our way, but it's about surrendering our will. Why? Because prayer reminds us that we're not in control. It draws us closer to the one who is. And we're not asking. We're trusting that God knows best. God, this is what we desire. This is what we want. But whatever you decide, not my will, but yours be done. The Sherpas get that. They live that way. They put it in God's hands, and then whatever happens, happens, and they give him the glory, and they continue to take their next step. This is what I pray for you. If you're in a season where God seems uncooperative, he said no, just understand there's a reason behind it. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. And years from now, you'll be able to look back on it and understand what he was doing even when life doesn't feel good, God is. Have you experienced that? If you've experienced that, we do something in churches called amen is what we say, right? It just means right on, all right? If you've experienced that, if you know that to be true, would you say it? Even when life doesn't feel good, God is good. Amen. All right, let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who understands every detail of our life and what's happening. God, even though uh, some of us in this room right now are going through a moment when it seems like you're uncooperative, you're saying no to something in our life, something that we think is so important, so, so monumental, we don't understand why you would even reject this, Lord. I pray that you would open their eyes, help them to see what it is that you're doing. Lord, and we know sometimes it, it might take a long time. And Lord, if that answer doesn't come right away, would you please show, show up in a big way? Show them your grace. May they rest in your grace and know that that is more than sufficient for them in this moment. May that take us from uh, this pain and lead us into your promises. God, in that, I pray just for a life of trusting in you in everything, even when we don't understand it. Lord, we pray that this continues to mold us and shape us into people that look more and more like you every day. We pray this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.